The reading this morning is taken from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 24. It's found on page 858 of the Plute Pew Bibles. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without re-keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Here ends the reading. Indeed, this St Andrews is God's word. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you. Yes, it's just about quarter to twelve, and I'm sure for some um, lunch will be calling. But Lord, we, in this space right now, we want to come into your presence. We want your word to speak to our hearts this morning. And so, Lord, we recognise that I or anyone who's up here has nothing of value to say in this space and this time unless it's you, your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come into this message and quicken your scripture, that, the, that I would decrease, you would increase. And I pray that, Lord, you would be piercing hearts and minds. Lord, talking to Carl uh, after the first service, I realise it is only your Holy Spirit that can quicken word. And so, Lord, I ask, we ask in the name of Jesus, have your way over your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning, I'm using the NIV version, which I will actually now read out. Uh, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes, that came by Christ Jesus and in particular this morning, I'm wanting to focus and hone in on the words justified freely. As always, I want to acknowledge amazing, the amazing commentary by Douglas Moo and wise giants of the faith, Tim Keller and others, uh, uh, who often under the scriptures are great resources. Just remember, if you're hearing something from me this morning, you think, wow, this is amazing on fire, it's incredible insight of wisdom. It may have come from someone else. You always Google it. I've done that with other preachers. That's really cool. Put it in. Ah, someone else came up with it first. I do try and uh, re do reference a lot of these, but it, it's sometimes a bit, in the mid-flight, it's a bit difficult. Uh, and occasionally, the Lord may actually give me an insight as well, which I am profoundly thankful for. Uh, one of the, the, the things I want to do this morning is one of the perspectives of the Christian faith is that God has hardwired into all humans, uh, whether they believe or don't believe, some particular things. So in the first chapter of Romans, God has hardwired into all humans 
some impulse of worship. If we're not worshipping the one, the true, and the living God, we'll be worshipping and serving something else. There can be idols of the heart, and we see that rejection of God and, and all these other idols that were in the ancient Roman world. Well, there are idols today. And it's interesting, I have an interest in the communist world. During the communist era, and it's the same, it's actually still in place with China and uh, North Korea, which is officially an atheistic regime, Nevertheless, their desire for worship would come out. They mimicked religion with all these ceremonies. They had their, their heroes in mausoleums and permanently embalmed with vast numbers of people to venerate them. In North Korea, the president's called the eternal president. It's a sense of worship. Go to an Amazon village in the middle of nowhere. There will be an impulse for worship. In chapter 2 of Romans, we see the hard wiring of God's heart that God has written his law in all human hearts. It's distorted by sin, it's broken by sin, but it, imperfectly it's there. There is a conscience within universal humans. Most people around the world have some belief in good and evil. It's this sense of hardwired. And now we're going to look at the core Christian belief of justification. And I want to show, before we get into what Jesus says about it, that even for people who don't believe in the Christian understanding of justification, nevertheless, in human hearts, there is this impulse to find it. And this has been a sense that God has placed these things into our hearts. So justification, what is it? Well, this is my definition. I didn't go to a commentary on it. For Christian, you know, I think most Christians who know this word, uh, it means that through Christ's work on the cross, uh, we are freely, uh, our sins are forgiven, and we're freely, without having to do anything, justified, declared right in God's eyes. I think it's a good enough understanding of justification. But perhaps for people who aren't Christians, this really wouldn't resonate with them. I don't believe in your God. I'm actually crappy cruising through life. I don't feel a need to be justified. Huh? But I think if we open our eyes, there are hints of people trying to justify themselves, validate themselves without God. They may not be using the words, but there's an impulse in people's hearts. Sydney, has anyone watched the movie Tootsie? Anyone heard of the movie Tootsie? Made in Africa, or what was the other one that he's done recently? Made of Honor. Has anyone seen those movies? Yeah, maybe. Well, Sidney Pollack did a lot of movies, and he was a prestigious movie maker, and he made Tootsie, Made in Africa, Made of Honor, and a stack load of others. And in the years and months before his death, he had been diagnosed with cancer, and he was still obsessed and consumed by making movies. And his family was coming to him and saying, Dad, we love you. you you've, you've made enough millions. You're a multi-millionaire. You've done enough movies. We just want to spend time with you. But he couldn't stop. In an article before his death, the article was titled, Making Movies Justifies My Existence. Interesting title. Making Movies Justifies My Existence. Uh, Pollock says that although the grueling uh, film movie existence is wearing him down, he can't justify his existence if he stops. And he said... Every time I finish another picture, I feel I've earned my stay for another year or so. He says that giving his life to movie making justifies his existence. Now, Tim Keller, in mentioning this, says that perhaps someone say, well, Sydney's just needing a good time with a counsellor. You know, you've got cancer, you need to spend time with him, you need to go talk to a counsellor about your issues because you're making too many movies and that's crazy. 
But actually, Tim Keller says that actually this desire, obsession of making movies and giving his life to it as a form of justification is a manifestation of stuff that goes on in the human heart. In an old, old movie called Chariots of Fire, probably a lot of younger ones haven't heard of it. I did, my mum and dad made me watch it when I was younger, when I was a little kid. There was a runner called Abrams, and Abrams was his whole life was obsessed in running. Now this is a quote from the movie, not actually from the person, but it did, does give a sense of his and many other performance. This is what he says. It was just before he was going on the Olympic finals. In one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Uh, perhaps right now there's a certain coach in, in South Africa looking at the, the series of defeats and he's thinking, well, my whole existence to justify it, I've got to perform. Right? And others, people, humans, I have seen a number of people say to me, I haven't, I haven't bumped into any movie makers, I have to say, that's, that have said to me movie making justifies their existence or runners or sports, but I have jumped into people who have said, I live and exist for my children. Who's heard some words more or less to that effect? There's a few. Now, sometimes I hasten to add that just saying as a way of saying they love their kids, which is quite nice. And I have to say, if you're going to give your life to something rather than work, giving it to children is a better thing. But may I suggest it's, an, it's also an awfully big burden to place on children. You know, little child, you are my purpose for life, your, your happiness and success. Everything depends on you living this life. It is a huge burden to place on children's lives. But thinking back to the movie maker or runner, what is happening? What would justify intelligent, secular people to be saying such things? What's driving them to say it? Well, when people apply for jobs, they often have like a CV or, or, or resume, which, among other things, they, is designed as like this track record, right? And you have this track record, look how wonderful I am, and if you show that track record, it will open the door, and it's basically saying, look, I'm good enough, aren't I, for this? And people are often doing this, wanting to collect almost like a life CV, all right, with ones they're doing, I'm good enough, I validate my, my, my existence, I can show my dad, my mom, or whoever else, there's these deep things running in their lives. One of the things when, when I, my life, the reason I joined uh, the New Zealand Territorials was when I was, when I was young, I was horrendously bullied for being skinny and glasses and on the bottom rung. And I felt that I was not good enough. And so there I was in the middle of the snow with, with a pack half my weight climbing up a mountain. And what was driving me when others were collapsing left, right and centre? It was a desire to prove myself and validate myself and justify myself. I was wanting to connect and grow my CV for life. You know, and I often in the in thinking of other ways, you can think of relationships. One of the questions you often find on internet forums about romantic relationships. I was reading the New Zealand Herald, it comes up on my Facebook feed. I don't know why New Zealand Herald are doing all these relationship articles, but it pops up on my feed. And it was, what do you say about my previous romantic relationships to my new partner? And there was all these comments and anguish on this. It's like they've got this relationship CV and, and some people aren't entirely happy with their relationship CV. And so they're asking the question, what do I do? And underneath, I wonder if there's unspoken insecurity, shame and guilt and the question, am I good enough? Are you with me this morning? This stuff of CVs or religious people, let's give them a go. 
I mentioned a few weeks ago that I remember when I was in Auckland, it was such a vivid thing. There was this beautiful lady who was from Southeast Asia. And every week she was walking into the swimming class. There were my kids, you know, the swimming class going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. You go like this, you remember like that? Anyway, and the, the, the swim instructor's in the pool and it was very exciting. And there was this lady, she'd sit next to me and she'd come in all the time with her Buddhist prayer wheel, doing this all the time. I'm surprised she did not get RSI because she was always at it every week for months and months so I plucked up my courage because I'm a bit English and sometimes I you know asking questions is a bit bold but I said tell me about your Buddha your prayer well why are you doing this you're quite dedicated and she said, oh, I'm a Buddhist and I'm trying these prayer wheels. One is spinning it. I accrue good karma and I'm doing it all the time. And if I spin this wheel and do all these things, maybe I'll have enough good enough karma to reach the next level. She was working on her religious CV, right? And I, I bumped in when I was, my friend who's now passed on, who grew up in a Jehovah's Witnesses background, when his mom was dying, he walked in there and she was filled with fear that she had not knocked on enough doors to tell people about Jehovah's good, the good news of Jehovah. It was not gratitude and desire to reach, it was a fear that she, her CV, religious CV, would not make the grade. It was anxiety. Well, the claim of scripture is that no matter how many movies you make, how fast you run, no matter how good a parent you are, no matter how many times you spin the pre-wheel, or what your relationship history is, that this is the reality for all humans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one can produce a good enough life CV to make the grade. Now, this is offensive to some, because it's like, what, you're calling me a sinner? Well, yeah, God's word is, actually. But yes, so there's, a fear, there's an offender. But actually, on the other hand, it's freeing. Have a look around. Look around right now at the, at the other people. Look around. There's, do you see that? You've got a whole bunch of sinners. We're all, you're a sinner. Look around. You're sitting in a room full of sinners, liars, deceitful, people who betray confidences and trusts, people who deal with certain addictions of mind or whatever, anger. You know, there's pride and judgmentalism, legalism. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's freeing because we we're at least we realize, well, I'm not in this, we're all in the same boat together. All right? So do you feel shame at your past? Well, don't worry, you're in the same boat as everyone else. The claim here is that we can't justify ourselves in God's eyes by our actions and our own strength. We can't produce a good enough CV to open the doors to eternity, to being friends with God on our own strength. Now, for some people, they might say, well, Alistair, I don't believe in your God anyway. I don't believe in your moral laws that you say. I don't believe in that. Well, I would suggest if a person said that to me, that even if that was the case, if you were to imagine a little baby... And when they were born, there was two audio voice recording devices. The first one through the entire life records every time they say, that's not fair, that's unjust. With a two, three-year-old, you're not fair, my brother's done this. They put their moral standards down. And all the way through when they're older, my boyfriend, girlfriend's cheated on me, she's lied to me and deceived me or whatever. Every time they have that standard, make a standard, all the time till they die. And then the second device is every time they've broken those very same standards that they've judged others on. 
you'll find that we don't even, forget about God's laws, we don't even keep our own moral standards. Every human falls short of our own standards that we claim others, we judge others on. And Jesus actually hints at this. He says that you will be judged by the own very standards that you make. And who hasn't fallen short of our own standards? That when we stand before the judgment throne, right? So this is the thing, God may, we may reject ultimate standards, but we will be judged by those standards. However, when all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So what is it to declare righteous? Well, one side of this wonderful word is a person is forgiven. This is a quote from Moo. As Paul uses the verb to justify, it means not to make righteous in an ethical sense. So what that means is when Jesus says we're justified, that doesn't mean that all of you are perfect or that I'm perfect. That'd be great. I'd just love to, when I was justified, that would end all my sinning. That would be a great thing. Well, we're not there yet. Nor simply to treat as righteous, though one, would, is, though one is not really righteous, but is to declare righteous. No legal fiction but a legal reality of the utmost significance. To be justified means to be acquitted by God of all charges that could be brought against a person because of his or her sins. So one side of this beautiful thing is that we are forgiven. For those who are repentant, who have faith in Jesus Christ, there are the conditions, we have to repent, and we'll get to that in a moment. But for those who are repentant and have faith, your sins are forgiven. But there is Another part of this, being declared righteous means you receive Christ's righteousness. Not only are you forgiven, but you receive Christ's righteousness. To put it another way, are you unhappy with your religious CV, the good works? Are you unhappy with your relationship CV? Are you unhappy with, with, with your past life? Well, receive Jesus' CV. Jesus' religious CV is awesome. He never sinned once. Jesus' relationship record is phenomenal. He was incredible. Are you, do you have ashamed of moments, cowardice, or unfaithfulness, deceitfulness? Do you know that your CV is forever tarnished? Well, give Christ your record. He will, to use the scriptures, nail it to the cross. And my particular record, my CV, is a very long list of failings. So I don't know how he put fit that on the cross. But he nailed it to the cross. And what I receive is Christ's righteousness. So in the well-known story of the lost son, right? you know the story. The, lot, the, son, the two sons, they grew up in there with their father. And then one says, Dad, I wish you were dead. That's in effect what he's saying. I want, I want the money I'd get when you die, so give it to me now. He gets that money and he spends it all on wild living, or as his older brother describes it, on sex workers. And so he spends all that money and he lives this wild, debauched life. And then he reaches rock bottom and he realizes that his CV has been forever stuffed up. He cannot make up for it. It is gone, done, and dusted. So on his way back, he realizes that he can never be a son, but he realizes maybe I can be a slave. And when he meets the father, the father does two things. Not only when, he, when, he, when the son repents, Father, forgive me for I've sinned against him and, and against you. The response of the father to that repentance is not only forgiveness, but he gives the son three things. Do you know what he gives the son? Three items. What's one? Rings one. What's another one? The cloak, the robe, yep. And what's the third? Sandals. Three things. He is, 
He receives, the, the, it's like receiving the, the righteous CV is given to him, declared righteous. The father not only forgives, he gets the CV, the status of his record being cleaned and the status of being a treasured honored son. Jesus was courageous. He was faithful. He was perfectly loving. Have you been cowardly, faithless, unloving? Have you betrayed a trust? Drop the robes and rags of shame this morning and take Jesus' cloak and his identity and his gold ring and sandals. You aren't just forgiven. And that's, I would have, maybe we shouldn't be with just because it, it undermines it. But forgiven's a wonderful thing. But you're not only forgiven, but you're also declared righteous. You receive Jesus' righteousness. So given the rags of your past, it's no legal fiction. It's a reality through Christ received through repentance and faith. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, if you think this is too good to be true, there is a catch in this. In Romans 4, it comes out. This is what it says. Now, to the one who works, right, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So what he's saying there is if you think that you can be good enough, you can work your way to heaven, then you can just say, God, I'm not receiving gift, your salvation as a gift. I've earned this. My CV's awesome. Come have a look. You know, I'm going to walk into heaven. That's great if you think you can make the standard, but the Bible says no one makes the standard but Jesus Christ. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Here's the catch. Who does God justify? What does the word say there? The ungodly. The ungodly. Only the ungodly. So if you walked in here this morning feeling godly in your own merit and, and reasons, the gospel's not for you. You're, you're good. You've passed. Or you're, you're deceived, one of the two. I think you're deceived, but you can believe what you want. Everyone's free to believe whatever they want, really. Be held to account for it. But God only justifies the ungodly. That is the catch, is to recognition that we need the cross of Christ. He justifies the ungodly. So if you want to receive the free justification, you have to be ungodly. Religious people who feel and believe in their own strength, they're good enough, their moral record's good enough, who justify themselves in their own strength cannot receive this gift. In fact, I would argue they'd be offended to receive it because in their own mind, they're already good enough. Haven't I produced enough movies? Haven't I run fast enough? Aren't my kids well enough behaved? Haven't I done enough religious works? I've gone and knocked on enough doors or spun my Buddhist prayer wheel enough. I've made the grade. Well, this will not apply to you. It is for the ungodly. But the person who knows they're ungodly, who trusts in God, who justifies the ungodly through faith and repentance, their faith is credited as righteousness. Only sinners can become Christians. God is only taking screw-ups and failures. So that'll either be offensive or liberating this morning, depending how you view yourself and your past CV, right? You'll be like, no, or you'll be like, hallelujah, this is so good news. And that's why when you see hymns like Amazing Grace, because John Newton's CV was really bad, and that's why you see the woman who's weeping over Jesus' feet and crying, it's like an outrageous thing to do now and then. Why? She was grateful. She wasn't a moral woman. Her CV sucked. But she got Jesus' CV, and hallelujah, what a difference it made. Here's the question, do Christians today live like this? Or do we live like we're actually apathetic and just making it on our own? 
Has the truth of the gospel settled into our hearts? I do put as a little caveat on this, and it could be a number. Uh, Carl was uh, picking me up on other caveats as well. But one, one to bring to mind is that I do realize there are children here who are growing up in Christian households. And some kids give their lives to Christ at a young age. And in the years they grow up, the Spirit of God's Spirit is in them. And they never walk away. They never become the prodigal son. They just, you know, love Jesus. And I've seen people doing this. And that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting that the parents talk to them this morning and say, Son, you're really living a pretty good life. You need to get a testimony. I've contacted one of the Ram Raid gangs up in Auckland. We're going to put you, find your slot. You can do a bit of Ram Raiding, do a bit of sin, a bit of drugs and alcohol, and build your testimony so that you can be really ungodly, and then you can receive Jesus. I'm not suggesting that, but may I say that no matter what your background is, in the end, every person, the path is the path of the cross. Everyone has to come to the cross. And someone's sins might be spiritual pride, it might be judgment, it could be those little subtle ones, but they're no less grave in God's sight. And we all have to know that with the prostitutes and the tax collectors of the first century, every person today, we're all in the same boat, sinners needing a saviour. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, said we need to hear the gospel every day of our lives because we forget it every day. That, that actually, that if you've heard this and you're tuning it out, maybe you haven't heard it. Maybe it hasn't actually resonated in here and maybe you're, the way you live your life, actually you're living a works-based life, not actually through repentance and faith in the works of the Spirit. If you truly believe you are freely justified in Christ through faith and repentance, then you don't need to perform in your job to earn approval, to validate your existence, to justify yourself to God. But you know and believe you're freely justified. What that will mean is when a relationship ends, when a, when a job is lost, when a financial tragedy comes and you lose your entire retirement things and disasters come, it will hurt. You'll grieve, you'll cry, but you'll get over it because your existence and justification was not on that. It's not your idol. It's on God. And, and, and there's a lack of anxiety. There's a joy. And there's a peace that when you know that you've actually got Jesus' CV, you're declared righteous, and you're walking through life. When you walk through life with Jesus' CV, you are not under condemnation anymore. The number of Christians who struggle with shame and guilt by listening to Satan, the accuser, than Christ, the redeemer. So here's a question. Does your life, your worship, your joy, your peace show that your heart and soul knows you are freely justified? I'm going to read this last verse, the verses again. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the, the, law and the prophets testify. The right, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. Do you know this justification? Are you freely justified this morning? And does your life reflect it? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we pray that over this next coming days and weeks and months and years, that day by day, hour by hour, we would live out the fruits of repentance. 
that, Lord, we would show that we have been re we've, we've received this good news, that we're walking with a grace and a love and a joy that only you can give, and that, Lord, this would be shown to the world around, and people would ask questions. Where does this joy come from? Where does this peace come from? And it comes, we say, from being freely justified, a free gift offered through repentance and faith. Amen.